Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hello, and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, where every week we ask one of our favorite comedians to pick one of their favorite topics, and then together we trace its entire history to find out exactly what ruined it. I'm joined, as always, by Wen Powers. Wen, who are we talking with this week? Andrew, this week we talked to Tim Barnes. He is a writer for The Tonight Show. He is the creator of the Uncertain Life webcomic and the co-host of of Yubnub, a Star Wars podcast, which is why we had him on this week to talk about The Phantom Menace. And Jesus Christ, <laughs> he's so much better at this than us. Like, why would we ever think to pull in an actual, like, guy with a podcast on the subject? He makes us look so dumb. It's honestly, I feel like normally we have this dynamic where one of us looks dumb every episode, and now we decided to just bring in guests so we can both do it at once. <laughs> Typically me, but nice of you to say one of of us it's only been me when it was lebron james when it was lebron james i was just like move over andrew i'm the genius today yeah, well and this time it was tim barnes who knew so much about this that again we even prepped for it and he came in and it was just it was so cool guys so i hope you stick around and listen to it because we're going to get right into it and you are going to learn so much about star wars that you did not know before this all right guys let's get into it So we're joined here today by Tim Barnes. Tim, thanks so much for coming on. I know you are an expert in uh, what we're going to get into today. You actually have your own podcast that we're just going to crib from this entire episode. <laughs> so yeah, I guess let's just kind of dive into yeah. it. Today we're talking about Star Wars, guys. Oh man, yes. One of my favorite topics uh, in the world. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, where do we start? Where do you want to start on the journey of, of what Star Wars is? Well, you have your, your own podcast, so how about this? How about you give us a little deep dive into what your personal history was. <laughs> let's go with that. Let's go original trilogy. Let's go OG. Right. Is that what you started on? Is that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so I do, I co-host a, a podcast called Yub Nub with a couple other uh, people who, who really love Star Wars. And where did I begin with my journey of Star Wars? It might, most likely it was when the, the special editions, uh, the, the, the George Lucas uh, um, updated, re-edited, added special effects version of the original trilogy hit theaters. I don't remember what year it was, but it was a precursor. I did my research for this episode. <laughs> it was a precursor to the prequels. And it, the thing about George Lucas is that he really knows how to how to milk that Disney vault uh, oh, magic yeah. of 
it's like he runs he when he was in charge of star wars he ran it like someone who like a chief executive for some stock market company like he he captured three generations of children with star wars so it's pretty remarkable. <laughs> it was, and, and the way he built it, too, I mean, you're right about there could have been people that even if they managed to stretch the movies this long, wouldn't have made like $10 billion off of it <laughs> the way he did. <laughs> but he knew how to sell this and how to put it together in a way where it was like, this is now part of all of our lives. Even if you don't want it to be, it's part of all of our lives. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a true myth. Like, it's a true modern myth. Like, when we when humanity travels to Mars, it's very likely that Star Wars will outlast most earth religions. <laughs> that's actually, I mean, it's a really interesting thought because I'm mean, actually, I saw a documentary years ago about a person who did take this on as his religion, which I thought was strange because at no point does anybody say this is true, <laughs> which is, is, is weird when the guy that invented it is like, hey guys. It starts off saying a long time ago <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. That that could be led to believe just like, oh, this is historical. Yeah. yeah. But, but that's also part of it. Like my fandom of Star Wars, there's only two franchises like this. It's Star Wars and The Matrix that really sort of expanded my mind. Because I realized I was so invested in Star Wars that as I, you know, I feel like uh, in high school, I was like, oh, uh, for somehow, somehow I just ran across this documentary series on PBS uh, with Joseph Campbell about the power of myth. And all of a sudden, just because of George Lucas's connection to Joseph Campbell, I'm opening my concept of uh, all the interconnectivity between world religions, you know, how it's all kind of right. telling this the same story. And that's the weird <laughs> genius of Star Wars, this pop culture money making machine that also condensed all of religion into this vague concept called the force yeah. that, that does have the ability to transcend everything so much so that it doesn't matter what, you know, how like, you know, Christian, like fundamental fundamentalist Christians will, you know, get up in arms about Harry Potter. They don't about Star Wars because it's just it's it's still magic, but it's vague enough where you can add any sort of personal influence to what you think the functionality of it is. And this, which is one of my favorite things for good sci-fi series too, where I if you are world building, I want an explanation of how your world works. I recognize <laughs> it's not going to fit with our world. I I like I need to know how Superman can fly. I get yeah. that he couldn't in our worlds, but you made him fly. Just give me an explanation. Is it like, is it the blood? Is it the sun? I just need that thing. Like, no, this lets him defy gravity. And yeah. Star Wars, I did such a good job with that with the Force because, I mean, obviously they expanded later on and added the midichlorians. But in the beginning, they, just the basic concept of because it was, it did have that religiosity tied to it of this is internal. This is inside you. Some of you have the gift. This is a connection to the universe. And it's like, oh, okay. So that gives them the ability. And you're right, it was vague, but somehow really hit home in a way where it was like, oh, this is totally believable now. I'm in. I get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, just the fact that uh, I don't think anyone has, has ever gone to, uh, you know, all the process of public schooling without at least one teacher who has a poster of Yoda with the quote, do or do not, there is no try. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. a freaking puppet s says uh, a form of wisdom that, <laughs> that stands the the test of time. Like, it's, it's crazy. People who don't even have never even seen star wars know that quote no that's that's really a huge thing too when you realize that this is this completely fictional and this is the kind of thing that you would attribute to a historical figure normally with this <laughs> level of significance and i was like oh who said that i was like no this green puppet guy he did not speak english well <laughs>
that's why it's yeah. like that. Yeah. But, I mean, it was a Jim Henson puppet that was voiced right. by Frank Oz, which like I like that is pretty much giving me like in my bone marrow a reason for me to really pay attention to this right. puppet. Like I'm like the I am the personification of that onion like headline where it's like I appreciate the Muppets in a much different level than you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I am conditioned to like whatever is said by Frank Oz through a puppet. I'm 100 percent in. <laughs> Right. We actually talked about Muppets a while ago and said we should do a Muppet episode. But when I both went, where would we say they went wrong? <laughs> it's just, we're, we're all in on Muppets. <laughs> yeah. Have they gone wrong? Have the Muppets gone wrong? Are you counting the cartoon, the cartooniverse of the Muppets? Oh, we might be able to hit Muppet Babies with a little Yeah, rough. Muppet Babies. Yeah. <laughs> I watched the hell out of Muppet Babies when I was a kid. You I, could argue, yeah. I think, that the ABC 30 Rock style sitcom for some people could be where it went wrong. But I enjoyed that one, so. <laughs> yeah, Kermit was dating a new pig. And, right. <laughs> but it got more like the Muppets as time went on and right. ended up good before yeah. they canceled it. But you're right. This was Frank Oz at his best. And obviously he went on to production and, and directing and and uh, so much more. And he really brought life to this this character. And it's this was just this was a movie that you could immerse yourself in in a way that was completely unique. And this, this is speaking of someone who wasn't super fan growing up. You know, I didn't I didn't read the books. It was more like, you know, how when Shawshank Redemption is on TV, you're like, oh, I'm going to watch Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it was like I I really enjoy Shawshank Redemption, but I don't think to turn it on. I watch it because yeah. it's there. I I very quickly well became a super fan. But it, it, like, if you want to get a broad scope for anyone, I, I I find it hard to believe that anyone listening is not aware of the history of Star Wars. But speaking of puppets and and trying to connect George Lucas to to another director, I mean his career is just as insane as a as as a Peter Jackson who started off making these weird crazy. Right. Uh, experimental movies like Meet the Feebles and then ends up making this grand trilogy that uh, <laughs> that you know changes uh, you know cinema especially in a special effects sense you're right it's actually a very similar arc to Peter Jackson's <laughs> I hadn't tied that together quite so much I mean it is it is funny to me that like they were just like yeah the guy who made a movie about teens making out at the drive-in theater that guy is going to direct the space epic to define three generations of fans but but that's the George Lucas before that, I mean, George Lucas to me, he, he was a hero of mine as a kid, as a quiet, introverted kid from L.A. Like I grew up around uh, USC and George Lucas famously went to film school there. But he uh, is this monotone man of mystery yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who has like elements of edge. Like he used to, you know, race cars as a kid in 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 California and and he made uh this very bizarre experimental film at USC called THX and uh later when his friend Francis Ford Coppola started his own production company called American Zoetrope the first movie he had his production company make was George Lucas's feature film version of THX which then was so experimental and did so bad in the box office that it tanked Francis Ford Coppola's production <laughs> company. And then uh, Coppola dared him to make just, you know, a pop hit that satisfies audiences. And so yeah. then George Lucas... <laughs> make me made... my money back. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, I like how you say it like it was a fun bet when really right. it was just like, I dare you to make a commercially yeah. viable film. 
<laughs> but it wasn't through American Zoetrope. I think maybe in some ways American Zoetrope came back at, at in some form later on. And so then he made American Graffiti and it, and it was a hit. And in the background of George Lucas's mind was this idea for something called Star Wars. Amazing. Guys, I, I know a lot of times we, we do the history in a chunk, but this one, we decided to do this like this because each <laughs> stage had this really interesting thing where, I mean, I know most of you know the basic background of this, but each stage is like, no, you got to see how they did this. And it was just incredible. <laughs> like, how did this come up? How did this come to exist in this massive form, especially when they're relatively young when they make this? Yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly, uh, Harrison Ford was in American Graffiti, yes. And uh, he somehow got like Alan Ladd Jr., this producer at Fox, to really get on board with this crazy idea for a, a you know, swashbuckling space opera. And, and yeah. Star Wars isn't like hard sci-fi. It's not necessarily like Star Trek. It, 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 it is just sort of a mix of fantasy, a mix of World War II dogfights and, right, <laughs> and yeah. samurai movies. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically like, oh, I can't do Flash Gordon. Well, what if I did Flash Gordon as a World War II samurai film? Yeah. Like, for some reason, like, yeah, you could do that one. That one's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I get the comparison, but you're right. It really was nothing like Star Trek, which, by the way, I, I just finished. I hadn't watched the original series before, and I just sat down and watched all of it. And you very much enjoyed it. But I wouldn't think to compare it to Star Wars, other than the fact that they both have star and they're both in space. Yeah. You know, the, these are very distinct stories. Yeah. And Star Wars, I mean, I, I feel like I can tie it back more to what was like the first A-budget sci-fi film, Forbidden Planet, which is, you know, where you get the sounds that we're used to for space, the, the ship sounds that came out of this movie. And that's more the, the line. Obviously, Star Wars changed the world significantly more, but it really did have this like, no, we're this is going to be an adventure. This is going to be sci-fi. This is going to do it in a way that the world doesn't think this can be done, which, again, Star Trek did do in its own way. But for different purposes, that was about advancing a different cause. Star Wars was like, no, we're going to do this because it's just really fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Star Trek was just like, once a society advances, this is how the world will actually work. Yeah. And like they were like, oh, we're going to have tablets that we're going to be able to <laughs> write notes on and like people are like cribbing from it they're like fuck yeah and then george Lewis over here is like i don't know what if there's uh swords in space and they're uh they're made of light that'd be that'd be pretty cool right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the, di the difference is with star trek you can actually imagine the pitch meeting yeah but star wars it's very difficult to figure out what the hell like how do you actually sell this idea i, I it still boggles my mind that uh, it happened but american graffiti was enough of a hit and this was the era of giving uh you know these young filmmakers a chance yeah uh, <laughs> i'm gonna be honest though i might have passed on it <laughs> <laughs> If I just saw this script, I might have passed on this. This is this is a, for the time period. This was a hard sell. Yeah, yeah, and that that's also the the beauty of being a Star Wars fan. There, the, there's such amorphous history. I feel like every five or ten years, we learn another version of the history. And George Lucas is always telling a different version of the history. Like sometimes it's like, oh, you know, nine movies was always the plan, and then it's like, no, it was always three movies. And he's like, no, I always wanted to have a prequel trilogy. I mean, the first Star Wars movie, I grew up thinking it was always called A New Hope, but it was just called Star Wars, and then right. later <laughs> it got a subtitle and was uh, episode four. So he gets the funding to make this movie, and he's looking for actors, and uh, and Harrison Ford, you know, wasn't you know getting a lot of roles, so he went back to just sort of being a carpenter, and he started uh, helping out... <laughs> 
where George Lucas was uh, auditioning people, doing <laughs> fixing a door or something. And so then uh, George Lucas was like, hey, like I'm auditioning people. Can you read the other lines? And so Harrison Ford, you know, got in that way because a big thing George Lucas said was he didn't want big names, which is like the, one of the, the greatest things about the original trilogy is that there aren't too many big names. Like you can add a lot of your own imagination to these these characters. So that's how the, the ragtag uh, group of uh, actors <laughs> got in. I'm just imagining just being like, hey, you know the really fuckable carpenter that's working on the door? <laughs> you know the carpenter that's the most fuckable man on the planet? What if we put him in a movie? And like, <laughs> oh, who would have thought that would have worked? <laughs> I know that for Mark Hamill, he went because his roommate was auditioning and it turned out his roommate was Robert Englund of Freddy Krueger fame. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, if, they actually have a lot of footage of the people who audition. Like, I think uh, Kurt Russell auditioned to play Luke and uh, a, a few other people like that. It's it's really fascinating stuff. And then he famously had a very difficult time making this movie, and they shot Tatooine scenes in Tunisia and in Africa. And Tatooine stuff was shot in Africa, but then most of the stuff was made in sets in London. And George Lucas, you know, I believe, you know, it seems like he just got an ulcer a day, basically, with the amount of stress that he went through. <laughs> <laughs> to make that movie from the shipping from England to Tunisia and then the sandstorm that just destroyed everything <laughs> which happens again when he's making the it, Phantom right. history repeats itself yeah yeah and then he was just like, fuck real sets. I hate shooting on location so fucking much. It just like, I just imagine Tunisia just hates space. T Tunisia is all in on destroying anything that's pro space. Um, yeah. And you think about this movie, like you have a guy in an actual tight robot outfit. Like he yeah. is in the hottest heat imaginable in a golden suit, wandering, walking on sand. And it, <laughs> as difficult as that is, that is like the also what makes, you know, watching these practical effects so exciting. The movie comes out. It's a it's a big hit. And speaking of the fact that, you know, there are so many different versions of the history of Star Wars, it, it, it took a while for it to sink in. That first Star Wars movie of the original trilogy is the only one that George Lucas directed. Right. <laughs> he did not direct Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. He co-wrote those two movies. And I think Irvin Kershner, who directed Empire Strikes Back, was actually one of his old uh, teachers at USC. And um, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who directed Return of the Jedi. I feel like it's like Richard Marquand or something. But yeah, how much do you want to dive into those movies? No, no, it is Richard Marquand, and that's fucking okay. incredible that you just had that <laughs> yeah. top of dome. Because like a lot of people know the Empire Strikes Back one, where they're like, actually, yeah. that wasn't the greatest one. Wasn't George Lucas, and like they'll, but Richard Marquand <laughs> to pull that out is fucking. I, I think people don't realize how much Star Wars was helped the original trilogy by other people because by all things that I've read Star Wars when it was first filmed it was this movie that everyone watched and they were like this is fucking boring as hell. like it was apparently so long <laughs> and like the editor had to fit like what we know as Star Wars was made pretty much in the editing of Star Wars. And his his uh, then wife was on the editing team. His then wife is a major part of what made that first Star Wars movie work and thus makes all of Star Wars work. And I, I do think in a, in a lot of ways she deserves a lot of credit that has not been recognized in, in some ways. I think so much, and I've also heard the counter to that, the fact that once they got divorced, his work was noticeably different. Without having her in that editing room, there wasn't someone that could do what she did. She understood it him enough that she knew what to cut, how to cut, and how to put it together. And once they split, his films were not the same. Yeah. 
I mean, he made he made Howard the Duck after. Yeah, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that, yeah, the first the first Marvel movie. Yeah, so we'll never know what Marshall Lucas's influence on Howard the Duck would have been. But did he direct that one? I, yeah, I'm trying to he remember. Directed it. He directed that. Okay, is that the only movie he directed? Because that's when by the time you get to the prequels in 1999, you realize he hasn't directed a movie in a long time. Right. Yeah, he tried to get uh, Steven Spielberg to do it, but like everyone told him, like, no, you should do this. And it's like, <laughs> did he need to do? this or yeah this is when you have a bad friend that is like trying to convince you no you should totally go up for this job that you're not at all qualified for it's like dude one of your friends has got to tell you no this is a bad idea yeah oh okay i was wrong he did not direct howard the duck he actually directed star wars was his last film that he directed until phantom menace Wow. Isn't that amazing? 20 years off. Yeah. Just to backtrack a little bit, what are my favorite facts about... I, I believe he wanted, he wanted uh, Steven Spielberg to direct Return of the Jedi. And from what I remember reading, that didn't work out because there was some issue between George Lucas and the director's guild or or something like that because they had a sort of requirement which i don't know if it still exists or not but that there are credits that roll during the first you know five minutes of the movie and star wars has never abided by that like you never see lower third credits and stuff <laughs> that's really interesting yeah yeah so so i think that something with that is the reason why steven spielberg wasn't allowed to but he also reached out to david lynch to see if David Lynch would have any interest in directing Return of the Jedi. That would have been a hell of a movie. I, <laughs> I always think about what that would have been. But then at the same time, I watch his Dune movie. It could have used a Marsha uh, a Lucas uh, <laughs> edit pass, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like the story of Star Wars, like of that original trilogy, is like the personification of like Malcolm Gladwell's idea that it, the more you tell a story, the more it's becomes not what it was like yeah. <laughs> by repeating as every time you repeat a story the story is destroyed a little bit more because you add like that's what it is because like it's always just like a like a oh this was uh, always planned as this many and it changes every single time like oh this is always going to be about the rise and fall of one man and it's just like you didn't even know he who he was gonna be you didn't know darth vader was anakin skywalker yeah. when you wrote this outline originally that, and, and that that is why i truly believe george lucas is one of the rare cultural figures who who kind of guides like he is a papal figure of Star Wars and I feel like that's where you know the Disney ownership of Star Wars gets kind of tricky sometimes just because even if you hate the prequels and maybe like some other stuff like you like the Clone Wars animated show or something there is still this vague concept of this guiding force that is George Lucas saying what is and what isn't and when that's gone it gets kind of strange the only person I can think of who had that was like a J.R.R. Tolkien who like if you read something like the Silmarillion that's sort of a religious text yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's interesting because I'll have a, you know, I'll, I'll see someone in, in the movie and of course not having done the books, I, I realize there's a deeper story and I'll Google it and there's always an answer. <laughs> Yeah. There is always a background and not yeah. like an, I yeah. think this is what happened. Like an official, this was in this book on this page where they announced <laughs> who his father was and how he got here on this day. And yeah. the depth is insane. And obviously, you know, there's, when you have this many books and stories, there's some contradictions, but also there's a lot that it, it's clear what is and what isn't canon. Well, that is it. Is it clear? That is, that is the, the, that is what makes being a Star Wars fan all the more fascinating now is that, you know, when Disney took over, they wiped a lot the of old universe, stuff, yeah. extended universe stuff. And they said, now, 
now everything is canon. So now there are like Star Wars fan, you know, Baptists, there's Star Wars fan Presbyterians, there's Star Wars <laughs> fan Lutherans. Like there are all these different interpretations of what actually took place in Star Wars. So you can kind of believe whichever version you want. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because you're right. I was thinking about how it, it had been before when Lucas was at the helm and, and had final say. But you're right. Now that you've got different people in charge here and extended this universe. Yeah, you've got contradicting stories. And who is the one that decides whether or not to? And yes. It's amazing that that's something that matters. Why can't <laughs> it's, this is a fictional story? Why can't I say which one I believe? But I, I can't. I need to know yeah, which one is real someone. to the guy yeah, that made yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, you need either JJ or someone to be like, I have the answers. Yeah. <laughs> but now you give that to a corporation and it's it's something is strange about that. Yeah. That needs to be figured out. Like they need to give people like maybe it's Dave Filoni. They need to give people. Yeah. John Favreau. Someone. Yeah. Someone yeah, needs to yeah, be yeah. the reins. I'm, I'm a Star Wars fan in the same way that I'm Catholic and that I'm just like, I'll take this. I'll leave out that. This is what I'm going to have. Like I'm just like Admiral yeah. Thrawn. Yes, I will keep you. I will not read all the these books. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that's my Star Wars. Fandom. That's something I've always admired about Catholics. I, I grew up, you know, Protestant, and there's a lot of emotion required in <laughs> Protestant churches. Whereas I've always found in Catholic churches, you can kind of be silent. You do the you do the hand gestures. Yeah, yeah it's a lot of symbolism. Like it's a very efficient. You know, it, it's like going to a white barber shop versus a black barber. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Catholics, we just try not to make waves. We just try to get through our hour. Like, there's two kinds of Catholics. There's the kinds that take it seriously, and then there are the kinds that are there to party. And I was definitely part of that group of partying Catholics that are just like, once you get through this hour, you can yeah. pretty much do whatever yeah. the fuck you want the rest of the week. You just got to make it through this hour. So that is basically Star Wars. <laughs> Quick thing, though, before we get into the, the meat of the episode, uh, I just want to say, for me personally, Empire, New Hope, Return of the Jedi. Uh, ah. As far as that so, original, so you want to rank the original trilogy? Yeah, before we get into okay. it, just yeah. just to know where we all stand. I I say a new hope. The original Star Wars movie is the best Star Wars movie. Uh, and if we're just talking about the original trilogy, then it's A New Hope. It's it's literally the order of the original trilogy is my tier. <laughs> New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. It's actually the same for me because I love how the characters were introduced in the first one where they just make you fall in love with them immediately. And I think that they're both so good. It's not like if I was told to put that Empire over New Hope, I'm like, yeah, sure, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, but ultimately, yeah. there's just a little bit more love for this is the one that introduced me to this world. Oh, I was just going to say, for me, I came to Star Wars late. I didn't watch these movies until I was in high school. I didn't watch the original trilogy. Someone, like a family member gave them to me. I was like, I'm not really a Star Wars guy. And then one weekend, I was like, what if I just watched all of these one <laughs> yeah. day? Like it was a three day weekend. I was like, what if I watched one a day for this entire weekend? And because I was like 14 years old, Empire is like that perfect movie for a 14 year old oh, yeah. because that's the one that's adult. Like that's the one that's like, it's darker and like it has like a downer ending and everything. So when you're 14, <laughs> 15 years old, you're just like, yes, that's the perfect yeah, Star yeah. Wars because it represents it's me it's adult and it's gotten past the childish <laughs> things what the fuck are, are, are Ewoks like what who who what were they thinking yeah but yeah that was that was me I was like a little it was like an edgy one and that's why I was yeah. as a 14 year old like this is the best for me I like the finality of A New Hope and I feel the same way about the Matrix trilogy the fact that the first Matrix movie actually has a beginning middle and end uh, where you can cut your brain off and say this is the end of my knowledge of Star 
Star Wars if you wanted to. Because you can say they blew up the thing. They had a celebration at the end. This is the <laughs> end right. of the Star yeah. Wars movie. That's what I really appreciate about it. And it has the perfect it has the perfect balance of everything that future movies kind of go further in either direction of. It, it takes its universe seriously, but it's also really campy and funny in a way that the prequels weren't able to figure out how to balance serious and campy. They, right. they, they kind of leaned really far into either in the same movie in a way that was that was uh, disorienting. And, and, but the perfect example of that is like once you get to the Death Star, especially one of my favorite scenes is just when all of those officers on the Death Star are just having this really intense conference meeting. They're just in a they're just in an office having this really intense meeting about stuff that and you imagine at the time in 1977, what the hell are they talking about? They're talking about a galactic senate or something and they're talking about, you know, Darth Vader's foolish religion. Like it's you're so like caught in the middle of 12 angry men kind of scene. Right. <laughs> and then at the same time, you cut to these these three stooges antics that that the gang are doing as they're, they're trying to get to the, to the princess. Like it, it's perfect in that way. You're right. It was so well balanced. Yes, yeah. And, and just the fact that it starts off with these two droids and you're just kind of following them and, and, and expanding further from whatever they get themselves into is um, such a great device that I kind of wish every trilogy kind of followed. Like it would be great if that was kind of how the prequel started and if that's how the new trilogy started too. But yeah, A New Hope is just all the magic absolutely and just at, for a little bit of context before we proceed the original trilogy earned about 1.2 billion dollars on a combined budget of 77 million <laughs> God. That is the catering budget on a regular Star Wars movie now. They made three of yeah. these motherfuckers on $77 yeah. million. So that's an average rate of 16.5 times. So for every dollar they spent, they made $16.5 in return yeah. to give you just insane absolute numbers. And then, uh, like you said, how you discovered Star Wars, before they proceeded what they were going to do, they digitized them a little bit. They added some special effects, some extra scenes, and that was the 1997 re-release that pulled in more money for the original trilogy so in the name of this podcast where did it go wrong (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a great question and it's one of those things you ask where and i believe the prequels is where it began to go wrong but also in a very fascinating way that i've learned to appreciate and i've kind of gone full circle of like i i I can't help but have some form of nostalgia when i when i watch the prequels and now it's just sort of it's all happening at once all the things i don't like all the things that i (laughs) i used to love it's just all you know camping together making 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 s'mores i say s'mores which (laughs) some people make fun of me for saying s'mores as opposed to s'mores not on this show we don't Uh, but but yeah, and, and and while you're talking about like how much money the original trilogy made, uh, George Lucas is an entrepreneur, and part of the you know what in some ways is a Greek tragedy of George Lucas is that he fought so hard to be an independent artist. He self-funded. I don't know how this worked out, but he you know he self-funded Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. He had full ownership of of this franchise. He made tons of money off of the toys, and you know he had kids. By the time Return of the Jedi came out, and just kind of retired. 
you know, focused on ILM. He, he made a Howard the Duck movie. I think at some point he made a, a movie called More American Graffiti, a sort of an American graffiti sequel. So a More American Graffiti, he was not involved in anything. He was an executive producer. He did not ah. write or direct uh, More American Graffiti. He had, he had been so distanced. And, and so you ask, how did this go wrong? There are a lot of people who don't like, you know, the prequels. There are a lot of people who don't like The Phantom Menace. And you're, and you're like, I, I just want more details on how this went wrong. Well, on the DVD of The Phantom Menace, there is a documentary called The Beginning, in which in great detail shows you exactly how things went wrong. <laughs> and have you guys seen this documentary? I've watched uh, excerpts and everything from preparing for this episode. Yes, it yeah. is fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> and we watched uh, we watched Making of Phantom Menace too, which which you sent us. Yes, and yes, yes. It, it was. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> And it's one of those things that I remember watching. At, I mean, uh, I think I was 10 in 1999. So I remember getting this DVD and I watched it with pure fascination. And I think I'm watching The Mind. And George Lucas is a genius, but I am not seeing any negativity as I watch this as a kid. And every time I watch it since, I get another hint of, of what's actually taking place. Yeah, everything starts creeping in from the edges a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I mean, there's thing is when you when you watch how he made this, the level of detail and care and precision is insane. It is so tight that I cannot imagine how it ended up in the place it did because he, he clearly had this vision that that was was incredible. But then it, it just went into this place that nobody got. I mean, even if you listen to him talk about it, you, you believe like you listen to him and you're like, yeah, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. He had this phrase about making the movie and that every scene was a poem and that every stanza kind of rhymes with the one before it like that's was his approach to it and like you hear that and you're like this guy has it figured the fuck out and then you watch the movie it created yes. and and you watch the trilogy and you want to believe there was a plan but it's hard to see i mean uh, just talking about the trilogy in, in broad strokes, you, I don't know, you get to the third one, and if you're just watching the movies themselves, you're like, who is General Grievous? You right. know, the third one. And then the second one, you're like, who is Count Dooku? And who is Sifo uh, yeah. Dias? And who, like, there's so many things. They that... never really answered who is Sifo Dias, anyways. <laughs> Like, it's not mapped out as anything that seems like there was an actual plan. It, it was definitely one of my more Googling heavy movies where it was like presented in a way where I felt like I was supposed to know where, <laughs> I mean, the same way when someone like says, oh, you know, the celebrity Tom Cruise. And you feel like you have to say yes. They were given to you like, of course, you know, General Grievous. It's like, all right, I don't know what to do with that guy. I guess I'll yeah, look it up yeah, and pretend yeah. I get it. I mean, I guess if you're if you're George Lucas, like you didn't do a whole thing where you're like, oh, no, this is. Darth Vader. Darth Vader is the second. You know, like it was just like here's Darth Vader now, and he is the yeah. bad guy. And it's just like yeah. that's how the. And he tried to do that with Count Dooku, and he tried to do it with General Grievous, and it's just like no one cared. Like no one was yeah. just like yeah. they didn't have the. But presence. people cared about Maul. You know, it's one of those things where like why you kind of just start asking your questions, like why you have this very intriguing villain who just dies and with zero line. Yeah, <laughs> he does have more lines than I thought he did when I rewatched yeah. the movie yeah. in preparation. All right, very few. He has, he is because he's got like those two scenes where he talks. At last, we'll defeat the Jedi. At last, we'll have revenge. And they all begin with a last. That is true. <laughs> yes. You would think there was a verbal tick of the character. <laughs> 
Also, that was a character that I had no doubt was dead until he showed then, up. It was like, the, yeah. come on, he's got to be dead. He is cut in half and fell like a mile. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a whole thing in the the cartoon in the the 3D animated universe where he comes back and he has a whole has a whole arc. He has like uh, robots, uh, spider legs, and stuff. I've never really dived too far into the the animated stuff, even though what I've seen has been pretty great. Oh, it's it's great. It's very solid. <laughs> I I think one of the things with with Phantom Menace in particular, the the other two uh, in in the prequels, um, you know, I didn't necessarily love, but I didn't mind as much. But there was a comment George Lucas had where he said he thinks there's a section of the fan base that gets upset at childlike aspects in the films because quote the movies are for children, but they don't want to admit that. <laughs> and that was not how I'd been picturing these movies. Like you've got a lot of hands being cut off for a yeah, movie yeah, if this yeah. is for children. <laughs> not only that, you have a lot of Galactic Senate politics for a movie for <laughs> right? children. Well, and and that was where it really. It surprised me because it's like, you know what? Honestly, if you want to do a West Wing in space, I will watch that movie. Yes. I, I will watch it if he wants to do it. But when you're saying this is a kid's movie and even more so than the other ones, because yes, the other ones were for the 70s. It was absolutely what it, it was at the time that you could have a movie that was for the entire family. And that didn't make it a kid's movie. It made it for the entire family. Although if you want to call it a kid's movie, I mean, he has, it's his vision. Sure. Uh, it's a kid's <laughs> movie that, that adults enjoy the same way play of adults enjoyed Harry Potter. But for this one, it was like, OK, this is if you're calling it this now, if you're saying this specifically, then. Why so much about trade routes? <laughs> I mean, just like the opening crawl is just like a dispute of the trade route at Naboo. And like immediately, like I yeah. cannot imagine being a Star Wars, like, because I, I saw fan. Phantom Menace I did see when it first came out like yeah. I had a cousin that took me and like it was just gonna be like this is gonna be the best thing you've ever experienced in your life and mm -hmm. like I was just like these words mean nothing to me like, <laughs> yeah. as, as they went as they went going past I can't imagine being a like someone who was like a dyed in the wool Star Wars fan it was old enough to like have that be the opening crawl and being like what the fuck is happening? <laughs> like Star Wars is so black and white, good guys, bad guys, that for your like more like child friendly prequel trilogy to then have it be like about the minutia of how a civil war begins is wild. It's fucking yeah. wild. Yeah. And it yeah. can only be done by someone who thought this through <laughs> as much as you possibly can without then doing the broader thing of just like, does anyone else know what the fuck I'm talking about? I, I refuse to believe that he mapped out those three movies like if if in 1997 he you know he had the broad strokes of the plot that happens in those three movies it, it is just so beyond like it, it just and even just to say that there's going to be a 10 year gap between episode one and episode two like there, there's there are a lot of just um you know maybe he's a genius maybe at some point <laughs> we'll look at these and be like that was really like he was a thousand years ahead of his time in terms of that but it, it's just it, it's hard to make sense of it sometimes. I think you're right. And I think it's because it really felt like it was two movies in, in a lot of ways where it was like, honestly, I we, I was, we cover a lot of history on this podcast. I find the East India Tea Company horrible, but fascinating. <laughs> you can cover galactic trade as if they're the East India tr uh, Tea Company and make that a very cool movie. And you can make this movie like The Dark Crystal uh, and make it a very cool kids movie. But when yeah. you're trying to put them both together, imagine explaining the East India Tea Company to a seven-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> How is this? And I think that was it. It was that these really did feel like two entirely separate movies. And both of them, I feel like, could have been so good as, you know, not necessarily part of the Star Wars universe uh, like they're doing now and realizing this or, or in the Star Wars universe, but not part of this original storyline. That could have been great. But once you're trying to fit it all in here, I, I think it was just 
it was just all too much. It was too much. It was too many things. At the end of the day, when I saw that movie as a kid, I loved it. And I, I, you know, I got so many toys. Like all my parents knew was that Tim wants Star Wars for Christmas. So for years, I just got whatever Star Wars toys people in my family could find. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I have a lot of prequel toys. And I, uh, StarWars.com was my favorite website. This was before, you know, everything was kind of condensed into Facebook and, and Twitter. And yeah. they were like uh, Ahmed Best would host these like uh, these like he would have these videos that he hosted on the Star Wars website about little things behind the scenes and stuff. Like I, I ate it all up in middle school when, you know, the English homework was to use these new words in a sentence. Every sentence I would put in my homework was somehow Star Wars related <laughs> and it would be connected to the Trade Federation. It would be connected to the inner politics of Gungan society. It would. <laughs> and I think that's interesting, too, is because we're, we're saying it didn't work as a kid's movie because of these adult things. But I've only heard adults complain about that. Kids found it successful in kids' movie. Kids were actually okay with the fact that there was a lot of trade route discussion. So yeah, it, yeah. it did actually heavily succeed as a kid's movie. I think it was just the fact that we wanted it to be more for adults, but we don't get to demand that. And also at the time, it was the second highest grossing film of all time. So yeah. it, it did well. It just didn't cater to what the fans that had were now 40 years old because they watched the originals when they were 10 <laughs> wanted. And and that's where it, it, you know, ran into a lot of issues. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get into it, just the hype of this movie, too, if, if you want to get into it. So the trailer was uh, premiered before The Waterboy, Meet Joe Black, and The Siege. <laughs> Those were the three movies that the first trailer uh, appeared with. And it's been theorized that the reason Meet Joe Black was a financial success wow. was specifically because how many people bought tickets and then left after that yeah. trailer. Uh, one reporter claimed that two-thirds of an opening weekend Meet Joe Black audience left after this uh, Phantom Menace preview happened. Wow. It was the most downloaded trailer of all time. Remember, this is before YouTube. It was downloaded 10 million times when you had to download the trailer in order to watch it. This wasn't you can pop up, type it in, and watch it like you can now. You had to actually sit for hours while this two-minute trailer <laughs> loaded and like and permanently installed itself on your computer because you didn't know exactly how this worked. Also, what an unexpected and kind of cheap shot at Joe Black. Like, out of nowhere, Joe Black is just sitting there. And it's like, you know what? You sucked so bad, <laughs> but we helped Most you. people, yeah, yeah. Have you watched me, Joe Black? Oh, no, it's terrible. I've watched like 10 minutes. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it years, yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, it, I mean, the best part about it is the opening scene when Brad Pitt gets hit by like three cars and like right. King's back and then there's three more hours left in this well, i movie. thought the best part was that he uses that jamaican accent to talk to that, oh. that woman in the hospital <laughs> <laughs> the movie is fucking wild and yeah i bet like watching it now you're still like yeah i bet the best part of this was the phantom minutes preview that played <laughs> yeah. before the theaters there's so many things like I, i'm nostalgic about the fact that there was a time you know first of all when a midnight screening was at midnight but there was also a time where you had to go to the movie theater to get your advance to get your midnight tickets like you i remember there would be a line at the movie theater when it was like oh tickets are on sale and i would you know, i loved there, it there's there's a lot of community building in that way and a lot of just like you know there's a destination to go to to the build-up of this big thing you're excited about midnight showings are are something that i always miss i was actually talking to my wife in the car the other day I, like because we were talking about because we oh, saw yeah, like, you have a wife you have a car <laughs> okay you don't have to. sorry I, I just i have to just drop these little sprinkles so that our fans 
fans know a little bit more about how great my fucking life is. For guys that run podcasts, this is like the equivalent of I went to Harvard. <laughs> if you've got a car and a wife, you're killing it. No, no, I'm, I'm on top of the fucking world. It's yeah. all through podcasting money, baby. It's not through podcasting money. But uh, we're in the car and we're talking about how we saw when Dark Knight Rises came out. We did the whole marathon of Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Into Dark Knight Rises. And like how he didn't realize that that was the last time you were ever going to do that because yeah. you know the aurora shooting happened literally that yeah. same night but it was it was the last time you were ever going to do that it's so wild to me that the response to it was no more midnight showings of movies right it's yeah. i feel like you missed the point by a lot here guys <laughs> this was a tragedy and because of that you cannot watch a batman movie past 11 yeah. p.m and it's just like fuck you it was really like if when lincoln was shot everyone was like oh no we're not plays i mean yeah the, that stuff is is really tr- and I, sadly i mean i haven't gotten to the movie theater in such a long time but you know it is something i think about almost every time i'm in a movie theater yeah and oh, I, I remember even like the, the hype for the, that joker movie like i was actually pretty oddly frightened when i saw that movie in theaters I was like anything can fucking happen i was worried TV. about that one right and, yeah. and no this this was a serious thing it's i think it was really just a shame that that it went to movie theaters instead of obviously gun control issue <laughs> yeah yeah i mean but, people forget it famously happened uh, um it's crazy the things that we forget like it had one of the there was a, a shooting at a uh, I forget which Amy Schumer movie but it was Train an Amy wreck. Schumer movie Train Wreck and you know no one said Amy Schumer has to stop making movies and right kidding, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and I always think about like what Ariana Grande had to experience wasn't it in in England she had yep. a concert and there was like right. people people that has left the, the Ariana Grande discourse the the trauma that she must have experienced right. from that you know <laughs> yeah the the worst possible nightmare for an artist possibly yeah. Yeah, Ever, it, yeah, it's it's uh, I'm always troubled by how quickly we forget very traumatic things. But I guess that is also trauma response. Like even now, like it's, it's, true. it's frightening how much we're just like, I can see the amnesia effect now that Trump is not in office. Of Right. It's time to repress. And it's like, yeah, we, we, yeah. you want to fix some stuff? Nope. Just going to push it on down. <laughs> yeah. Everything that I've been feeling, I'm yeah. going to put it in a ball and I'm going to keep it right here until I need these feelings again. <laughs> This is like we just watched Star Wars. This is how you make a Darth Vader. Yeah. This is this. We, we know what happens from this, but we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, first trailer is the reason why Brad Pitt is still making movies. Uh, <laughs> is basically what I gathered. And yeah. then the second trailer got three point five million downloads within five days, which once insane. again, guys, this is insane pre YouTube numbers. But the a little fun fact about that is. Steve Jobs brokered a deal with Lucasfilm for that trailer to be an exclusive to QuickTime, which Steve Jobs was like the backer of. It was this, you can only watch this if you download it to QuickTime. And (laughs) good, good fucking on you Steve smart. Jobs like yeah. you're a piece of sh- like you're kind of a piece of shit but you're a genius <laughs> yeah you're a, you're like, no one could deny that you were a genius to be like let's put this trailer on QuickTime it reached 35 <laughs> million downloads on QuickTime and once again these are downloads in 1999 this right. took four hours for you to do <laughs> this is basically everyone that has access to the internet at this point in time I still had that plan where you had internet for like six hours a month you still had time limited internet back here and people were using it entirely to download a trailer yeah everyone had to agree not to make a phone call <laughs> while you downloaded 
the Phantom Menace trailer. Everyone yeah. in the house had to agree beforehand not to speak to a loved one for four to six hours <laughs> while you downloaded a 60 second clip of like yeah. that ends with Darth Maul doing the double lightsaber thing. And I, you know what? I bet you Worth didn't it. regret it because that was the coolest <laughs> fucking thing I've seen in my life. But that's how big this hype was. Yeah, it was. And honestly, that, that lightsaber fight, it was incredible. It was beautiful. It was choreographed yeah. wonderfully and it was it was so well played out. And the fact that it did make you uh, intense on this character that that we wanted to be even more invested in. We, we fell in love with because of like one fight scene. So let's talk a bit more about, let's get into Jar Jar because this was yes. a big point of discussion. And again, once I adjust my viewpoint to this was made for children, that was deliberate, <laughs> Jar Jar yeah. nailed it. It, it, was, yeah, yeah. it was physical comedy. It was goofy. It was silly. It was a character that I strongly did not enjoy. But if it wasn't yeah. for me, then that's okay. One of my favorite scenes in the documentary is where George Lucas is showing Ahmed Best how to do the walk. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's the most... <laughs> It's the most active you've ever seen George Lucas, him showing right. Ahmed best. And then, and then, of course, Ahmed comes out and, and actually nails this walk where it's like George Lucas really looks like he's trying to walk for the first time. And Ahmed's like, oh, cool. So like this, like the perfect yeah. physicality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel so bad for Ahmed best because Same. guess yeah. what? He was doing his Ahmed best the entire <laughs> time. Like he, yeah, he did it, great. Yeah. He did what yeah. he could with these this weird character George Lucas wrote. I know. And, and he is Ahmed best is a historical figure. I mean, he is a pioneer of acting with that technology. And it's one of those things where... Um, Everyone tries to give it to Andy Serkis. Yeah, Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis is great. I ran into Andy Serkis once uh, randomly on the street and he was very kind and he took a picture with me. He's like someone who is so famous and has done so many characters yet can just kind of walk around without a lot of people right. noticing him. Yeah, he's probably thrilled when you did it too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just, I just knew who he was. Like, I've seen the making of Lord of the Rings so many times. But but I think that Gollum-Jar uh, Jar conversation is the best way to describe sort of what went wrong, particularly with the Phantom Menace. Because you, you look at how Peter Jackson is using the exact same technology to create a character. I mean, of course, it's a character based off of a book, but it's a character with depth who, no matter what happens to the technology, how bad it ends up looking, it is a character who has a, a function to the story and is something that's like actually like very additive extremely yeah i will never look at Gollum in those movies and and not be like oh yeah this needs to be here right yeah and, and when you watch like the making of because there there's like 20 hours of making of for lord of the rings and yeah. and some discussion of how he realized oh no Gollum has to be pivotal here which means we have to invent new technology <laughs> which yeah. means we have yeah, to create yeah, yeah. an entire company and <laughs> and which was you know what they did and they did it great and star wars i i read a number here where they said big a big film has maybe 250 special effects shots massive film like Titanic has between 450 and 500 and George Lucas was thinking for the for the prequels or for just Phantom Menace between 1700 and 2000 special effects shots nothing like this had been done before and it didn't require making entirely new technology and yeah. you know these people in back rooms figuring out how to do it and then teaching actors what to do with it some of which was completely useless that's another one of my favorite parts of that documentary like you, they show these uh, special effects guys like I forget exactly what it is but it's something like we need uh Ahmed to wear this particular really expensive suit all the time yeah. that they ended up not actually needing him to do or it was something like they There's thought a $100,000 suit yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
but yeah. honestly, a lot of it felt like, I mean, we're all writers here. If if your boss came in and said, cool, I need you to write a script, but in Sanskrit. <laughs> and and this was the demand that, that George Lucas kept coming in with. It was like, cool, all right, I guess I got to just go learn Sanskrit now. And they kept doing it. Yeah. They, they kept yeah, doing yeah. it. <laughs> and he literally he, he, would just make up things and they'd be like, this technology doesn't exist. <laughs> He's like, yeah. but do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, he literally was their boss. Like it's, it's a different conversation even than, than most movies. Like it, it's kind of impo- figuring out the nuances of how to push back in a, in a conversation with the guy who's, who's your boss outside of Star Wars, just at ILM. Right. Uh, someone who is Star Wars Pope. Uh, right. Someone like it's, it's so many things like, and this is, this is part of this Darth Vader like um, sort of tragedy of, of George Lucas. He fought so hard to be super independent to own all of his work and he, now he he owns all of it he can do whatever he wants like he has everything at his fingertips and this is an example of what happens when everything is at your fingertips and uh, you get to the the sequel uh, uh movies you, you know attack of the clones and revenge of the sith and he's making decisions like uh you know let's make all the clones 3d let's make yoda 3d let's <laughs> let's let's you know you know uh and let's have yoda fight let's do it yeah. let's fucking party <laughs> You know, I, I think you're right about it being um, because he is their boss in every firm. Like a lot of the stuff he's asking for, I feel like you would normally have your boss say, this is just a crap client. I'm going to push back. Don't worry about it. We're not going to make you do this. We know that's unreasonable. But they couldn't do that here. They had to They had to just make it happen. Yeah. Uh, and they had to make it happen over and over again. <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah. so wild because you like watch it and like the the amount of thought and like the, the amount of uh, work and just dedication to it is insane. Like if you look at how they made Jar Jar, they planned out how every muscle in Jar Jar's body would work on top of yeah. a skeleton. Like, they, like, had it all planned out in, like, such an intricate way, but yet you watch Jar Jar run through a forest, and it's clearly like, like, like an overlay. Like, the right. grass doesn't yeah, move. Yeah. Like, it doesn't look right <laughs> at all to your eyes anymore. And they just didn't yeah. realize that, like, the jump between Gollum and, or Jar Jar to Gollum was, I believe, about three years. But those mm. three years were such an advancement of that technology I'm very curious what would happen if they went back and they you know as they do yeah. with Star Wars redid some of this animation <laughs> because re-watching it now it's 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 nuts to be like this this yeah. it's it's hideous right it's it's yeah. such an ugly movie <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have to question if Gollum would have been as good if they hadn't done this first and made these big advancements. Yeah. Oh, not at all. But still, the, the three years of the three years of advancement shows. Yeah. Oh, massive. That, yeah. that, that is the the something you can't deny about George Lucas is that he has, you know, he what his importance in, in cinema and the world is how much he put a focus on advancing technology. And, and that's one of the things where I think it, it is a little bit more of his um, entrepreneur brain that was at play. This is my theory in the prequels where he was, I think his focus was more on like using Star Wars to advance technology, even yeah. if it in uh, the view of a lot of people is to the detriment of the quality. I mean, one of the things that I, I love about The Phantom Menace is that it's shot on film. The other two movies aren't. They're, those are shot digitally. But he's so dedicated to advancing the technology. He's like, let's do everything digital. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like he just wanted a lightsaber so fucking bad. And he's like, look, we 
we're going to push it until this is real. <laughs> if, I don't even care if you release the movies. Just make this happen. I rewatched the entire prequel trilogy. We, me and my wife did. My wife. Your my, wife. Me and my wife. Did you watch in your car? Yeah. <laughs> my wife who watches Batman and Star Wars movies with me. I'm hit the fucking jackpot, guys. Uh, but we rewatched them in order. We were like, let's do chronological order. And so we started on Phantom Menace. And I was really just like, well, here there's actually a way you can watch these with by skipping the Phantom Menace. <laughs> but like, no, like we're actually going to plow yeah. through. I, it's called Machete Order or Machete Order where you watch like two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, it's like a weird yeah. Or like, it's, no, it's four, five, two, oh, three, yeah. six is like how like they say you're supposed to watch them. But I watched the first one. I always believed that Attack of the Clones was the worst one. Like I had this like memory of just Attack of the Clones. I and then you, like yeah. I just watched like, Phantom. Who is Sifo Dias? And, you're, and, you're and, the, <laughs> and then they're like, we actually misspelled something in the script. It was supposed yeah. to be Darth Sidious. And it's just like, <laughs> tell me that. Like actually say it in the film. Wait, is that true? It was supposed to be like a, a mixing of the letters of Darth Sidious, but he oh. misspelled the, the rearranging of the letters. And is then that like, really? Like, yeah. And then he like, and then he would like the mystery of it. He liked the mystery of it. So <laughs> oh he was like, God. no, this will be a separate character, but never explained it. I got to tell you, I am obsessed with Sifo Dias because of that. And when's the last time you, you watched uh, the new trilogy? Uh, the new trilogy? I have not done a rewatch of the new trilogy. We're still in the middle. Do you remember a character in the last one, The Rise of Skywalker, called Ochi? Yeah. Oh, my God. I did not remember Ochi after the first time I saw it. Then I watched it uh, a couple months ago, and I'm like, they keep talking about this guy named Ochi. I just saw it recently, so it's got no connection for me, but I just saw it recently. It's like, Ochi, right. They said that. And he's similar to Sifo Dias in that you're like, who Who? is this guy, and and why is he so important? Like, Ochi is this character who has that, he's like the reason they have that dagger. Like, he's some... And he's like dead, but they they go into his ship, and that's where they find that robot with the one wheel. And he is so pivotal to this movie, and, it, and I've never heard of it. What is the opposite of a MacGuffin? Like <laughs> when you've got the actual pivotal thing, but we're not going to tell you at all what it is. <laughs> so what do you? Uh, I I know we're we're getting towards the end, and this is where it really went wrong. But do you have thoughts on the on the uh, last three as well? Uh, I had a lot of faith in this newer trilogy, and I, I do I do think it did a lot right. And I initially really liked the. Kathleen Kennedy's model of kind of like figuring out as they go because I genuinely think all of the Star Wars movies have figured it out as They're they went along yeah. <laughs> as opposed to this this but that, that's the thing the glue is you think that there is connective glue and the Disney movies didn't have that concept of the connect of someone being the guiding force so I think that's and some writers can of, do that some are yeah. great at it Tolkien <laughs> obviously Tolkien spent like 20 years creating a world and a language and he knew every step every character was going to take some people need that and I, I think it's like you got to know what kind of writer you are. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's just like, George, either you knew and you planned this all out and you just had brother and sister kiss multiple times <laughs> or you're making it up as you go along. You cannot yeah. you cannot split the difference on this. <laughs> but for these last three, I mean, I, I enjoyed them. I, I did not have, I think one of the challenging things here is, is we, we had talked recently about when they remake shows for people that are now 20 years older and they're disappointed because these shows fit them at a different age. And I think a lot of the issue here is that this is made for the same age range that every movie in the series was made for. But each time they do it, everyone is now 20 years older. And I think that is so completely reasonable. That is a perfect way to approach movies. This is what we're good at. This is what we're going to keep doing. But the fan base is like, no, you have to adjust to my age now, Mm -hmm. which honestly 
feels like a very unreasonable demand to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it is. And I think the streaming uh, universe has kind of resolved that a bit with shows like The Mandalorian, which is a little I think more so on the adult side. But, but yeah, we're... yeah, it's once they realize they can do both, that they don't have to be that they that this is a massive world and they're, they're able to expand. So I, I did enjoy these last three movies. I, I get some of the complaints nowhere near to the level of the people that said we need to remake these movies is like, come on, man, you think they're going to remake this for you, <laughs> for you 10 guys that have not left your basement in four years. Yeah, it's they're yeah. just enjoy the movies for what they've done. And I feel like they did a lot that was really good. And I, I really did enjoy them. But there was also, I realized, less emotional investment for me. I got to enjoy them as movies, not mm. as, you know, I need this to fulfill something. I will say it's that old adage of no one hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's just the thing. Return of the Jedi came out. People were pissed. They hated Ewoks. They didn't like they didn't like that. Like they were adding all this kiddie stuff to their Star Wars. And then they did the same thing with the prequel trilogies. And then these new movies came out. And now people are looking at the prequel trilogy just like, oh, there's actually those were hidden gems. You know, right. people look at the, that. They really believe that those were hidden gems. And I'll yeah. say Revenge of the Sith. I think Revenge of the Sith is up there with the with the original trilogy. Of course, I think it's a fantastic movie. As far as Disney is concerned, I think Rogue One is in the upper echelon of Star yeah. Wars movies. Something that stuck with me with the with the new trilogy is, and I kept saying it the entire time I was watching them. This is why you make fucking movies. Like they're grand. They have this yeah. scale to them. They like. They really feel as big as Star Wars felt to me when I was a kid. Like, just how they're shooting them in these wide Mm. shots and everything. And they're beautiful. They're beautifully made films. And you could tell they're made by directors who have a great eye. I'm trying to remember uh, the director for Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards directed Rogue One. And he directed it so well because he did Godzilla as well. And he has this idea of scale. He has people on the ground looking up at AT-ATs and you realize how fucking big those things are. And it felt just as cool as when you're seeing AT-ATs for the first time in Empire. Like, I feel like there's a lot of capturing of nostalgia, which is kind of one of their drawbacks as well. But that I, I really do like that new trilogy. And I think it's because I do not love Star Wars to that degree that like I had all the adventures of Luke after Return of the Jedi planned out in my head. And that mm. if you give me not that, I'm going to be pissed. Like I was able to be like, oh, what has Luke Skywalker been up to these past (laughs) few years? I'm able to enjoy that story at face value. It's not like they fucking ruined Luke. I was just like, what's Luke been up to? Oh, this? That's fun. Like he's been playing the Joker for for 15 years. Like we're just, we're glad he's back. Fucking perfectly. Oh yeah. I just absolutely kills it too. (laughs) Yeah. I really have no problems with the first two movies of that trilogy. My only complaints really come down to the Finn stuff. I feel like I loved him in the first movie and he's just kind of, you don't, he, he is the most interesting character in Star Wars yeah. history in my mind <laughs> and you kind of learn absolutely nothing about him and he's kind of pushed to the sidelines and, and I really really like The Last Jedi but that part of it is just like so strange to me um, and Poe's cool but there's a line in that movie where they're like what do you just want me to blow stuff up or whatever he says that I'm like I'm kind of like yeah that's all I want to see you do like tell me about this Finn guy <laughs> this is, like, that you're... would actually be my dream <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I bought a ticket specifically to watch you blow shit up and you're not gonna. <laughs> but you're right. That was one of the things where it, it was, you've, you've got something beautiful here. Let, I, let, I want to see all of that. I want you to get yeah. into this. And obviously it was such a shame that, that they took that away and went a different direction because there was so, there was clearly so much depth there. And there was, so it was such great acting. I wanted to see him give it to us. You know, I wanted to see yeah. uh, his interpretation of this. So not having Finn be 
absolutely central here, I think was a uh, was a big mistake. But, you know, not enough to ruin the movie for me, but I didn't like it. Yeah, I definitely think Finn should have been. And that's the one of the fan theories of just a stormtrooper revolt. And like it seemed yeah. like that's what they were setting up for that entire time with him. Mm-hmm. And I would have loved it. I would have absolutely loved if that's the the route they ended up taking with Finn. But it it, it did not go that way. It yeah. it kind of feels <laughs> yeah. like. Finn's whole character was this setup for the fake out of him not being the main character. And then they didn't realize that they had another lead in this movie. Is, <laughs> yeah. is kind of how it felt. Like they did not set him up to be another co-lead like Han or someone else. They were literally just like, and we did the fake out and fuck, what are we going to do with him now? Uh, and they never figured it out. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's just like the biggest example of, of one of the complaints that they didn't really deliver from the things that JJ kind of teed up. Like the, he, there's so many questions you have about Finn. I have no questions about Poe. Right. <laughs> And they're yeah. answering them for some reason. Right. You know, like that, Poe is a very yeah, clear character. Everything is right on the yeah. surface with him. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the so many questions. I mean, it was it was I think the the real thing that Star Wars is learning how to deal with. It's like a pretty new territory for movies of that scale to and the place that the Internet is with this like YouTube theories and all kinds of things like you have to kind of combat all of these uh these expectations and you want to do something that is different from what a lot of people are saying they think the case is is going to be but yeah a lot of those choices like you know killing off snoke in that movie it's it's um like people always say that yeah yeah, i loved it yeah and and it's one of those things like people always say the the biggest plot twist in uh empire strikes back is is darth vader saying that he's luke's father but to me when i watch that now and i imagine seeing empire strikes back the first time and there's that scene where luke is leaving dagobah and then obi-wan goes that boy is our last hope and then yoda goes no there is another and you're like what does that mean yeah. like, no one is thinking that means princess leia like there that opens up the scale of like what the hell does that line mean and it's lines like that that i that i love about star wars and and you know star wars just sometimes has difficulty delivering on 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 those mysteries you know no you're right i mean i think that's absolutely what we love about it is that it did create so much depth and honestly so much that it can't be contained in, in the movies and that's sometimes what's frustrating about it was that we just need constantly more there's always <laughs> another star wars story to tell uh, and i mean i i, I read years ago about they're discussing humanity uh, and just this concept of if you tell someone this is a story this is the entire story this is how it ends and that is everything that happened the instinct is still to go okay but what did they do next yeah, and yeah, yeah. and that is very much instinctive for us and when you've got characters that you created that we love we always want to see what's next and for some some reason even though they're made up it is not satisfying to feel it in ourselves so we 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 need to have that other one give us that closure and i think that is one of the things that's it's always hard with something so massive is that there's never a real closure with this yeah i mean if you want to if you want to compare it to something even slightly newer even than the new star wars is a show came out recently called wandavision about the characters <laughs> wanda and vision. and vision and they were like this is going to be a thing on old tv shows starring wanda in vision and they had the last episode come out and people were pissed off that they were like well where was dr strange and Reed richards and all of the x-men and it's just like, you made that up 
The show yeah. did not yeah, yeah, promise yeah. you any of this. Why are you so mad? They gave you everything in the in the name. <laughs> they even made the name one word to make it easier for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like anticipation is is like the reason franchises exist, but they also have gotten to this place where they kind of are the 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 bane of their existence in some ways. Like it's hard to. I, I feel like I remember being younger and having like it was it was like a raffle or something. I got a raffle ticket and I think okay, well there are a bunch of people here. No way I'm going to win. And by the time they drew the ticket I had convinced myself I would uh, and it was one of those things where they don't call my number and I'm a kid and I'm disappointed I was like I, I knew this wasn't going to happen but by the time you get there you've built it up in your head and I feel like Star Wars fans very much do the same thing where by the time it's actually made they have convinced themselves their way is the way it should be made so it's not just a different vision it's not the vision I was promised in my own mind yeah and, and now it is the most uh, I think that last trilogy was the most democratized the fan base was a, yeah. was allowed to have that elevated feeling because there was no George Lucas like figure, which like has very <laughs> rarely gone well. Yeah, I know. Like you're, you're, everyone's kind of basically mad at a board of directors. Like it's, right. it's kind of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's pretty much every. I mean, well, no, there's there's so much we could cover, but that is what we love about Star Wars. Where the original three movies, we're we're happy with the last three, despite some issues. Where it went wrong was very much the Phantom Menace. But that does bring us to our last segment. In their defense where we have to defend the Phantom Menace. Tim, what do you have? Yeah, I mean, I said some of it uh, ahead of this, forgetting that this segment is coming up, but the fact that the Phantom Menace itself is shot on film is a is a big part of why that is my favorite of the prequels if you want to talk about the prequels themselves in their defense i i do think that it did show us way more worlds than we've ever seen in the original trilogy and it did expand a lot of possibilities in in yeah. that way <laughs> it's hard not to you know say a complaint at the end of, of that but i really do have like you know uh, i'm trying to become a gray jedi in terms of my my light and uh, yeah. <laughs> and dark side energy when it comes to the, uh, the prequels. <laughs> and I, I think for me, ultimately, it's that, look, it's my job here to complain about this. Uh, and I can do that, that either way. But ultimately, once I sit back and think, okay, what if this is just made for somebody else? And if that's the case and they all loved it, then they achieved what they wanted to do. And, <laughs> I, and I don't get to complain that it's not for me, except, you know, here on my show where I, I have to, contractually obligated. <laughs> um, but yeah, if it's just not for me, if it's made for kids and kids loved it, then yeah, you you, you got it. You did it right. And, um, and I can still be annoyed deep down but i feel like i have to know that i'm wrong for being annoyed (laughs) (laughs) i'll say i mean duel of the fates the fight with darth maul and qui-gon and kenobi is one of the coolest fight scenes in cinematic history it was one of those things where the second that second lightsaber comes out was Mm -hmm. like probably one of the most exciting moments i've ever had (laughs) and this is someone this is someone who like i did not follow it up and like watch all the star wars movies i didn't become obsessed but i did become obsessed with lightsabers and doing Mm -hmm. lightsaber fights and everything after that (laughs) if you want to say the trilogy as a whole that whole prequel trilogy i would put revenge of the sith up there in, in like upper you know upper echelon of star wars movies and i always say like yeah star wars movies is like star wars is great for whatever you imagine it is but there's like four great films and then there's a lot (laughs) of other movies that are involved you know it's in the upper half of the revenge of the sith is in the upper half of them but what does that even fucking mean right (laughs) i think it's just in the upper half because it 
and has to answer questions that the first two movies somehow managed to not. Right. And it does it at the very last minute. <laughs> it's a wild fucking ride, but it is, and it, it, for a lot of people, gave us like the, this is an adult film for adults, which is another thing that when I watched it, I was just like, yeah, this is an adult film for adults. Like they slowly becoming less kid friendly as they went. Attack of the Clones, fuck that movie. But uh, I do think that there is, Duel of the Fates makes up for everything else in that entire movie and attack of the clones does not have a sequence that saves the rest of the film <laughs> duel of the fates is, is amazing just just because it just feels like like it's everything that you kind of want from the prequels in just that scene like this idea that the jedi haven't fought a sith in like a l- really long time and this is the first one like and the setup it's like a western build up to it where they're on two different sides and you know there's so much like amazing stuff going on there it's fantastic and by showing that second lightsaber they're basically saying this is different than everything else that, like it, it's, it's right. there's going to be a fight yeah. there's going to be a fight that you've never seen before you've never seen yeah. two on one you've never seen a double lightsaber and you've never seen a jedi in their prime which is like another big thing but then you get to episode 2 and count dooku has a slightly bent lightsaber that's also something you've never seen before yeah that, that existed that was yeah general grievous had six of those fuckers like <laughs> <laughs> which is at that point i was like okay are, how easy are these to get are these less of a big deal than i think they are yeah they, they really hype up the you know this is a, a civilized weapon or whatever obi-wan says to right Luke, and then the prequels are just like dropping them all the time <laughs> to me i know we're getting back to the faults but I, when i think of just the words clone wars so many things come to mind and like what is going on? Is it just like the clone, like it's just alien clones coming from the outer territories that no one's ever heard? Of? Like, like there's so many fascinating things you could do with just that phrase for a war that George right. Lucas made up in a, a New Hope. And then you you find out with what it is, and you're just kind of. Uh, I guess in my head I was like, oh, the Jedi are fighting clones, and then I get to the movie and it's like the Jedi are fighting with the clones, and the clones are basically stormtroopers, and they're one dude and it's uh it's Fett's it's, dad Boba Fett's dad but it's not his dad it's his, he's a clone of Jango Fett that Jango Fett claims as his son it, there's so many things happening with just like a basic phrase that just sounds so badass clone wars and it, and it gets sort of uh very muddied and nuanced in a way that's not explained necessarily well to the extent that most people don't know how the clone wars transition into stormtroopers you know yeah. so um, should this podcast just end on a heavy sigh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that's basically how most podcasts like that survive, right? <laughs> but no, I, I I think you're you're right in that. It's the same thing throughout all of this. There was always so much potential that it, it is hard when it doesn't live up to it. But no, I think that covers pretty much uh, everything at least we can hit in this episode in Star Wars. Cool, cool. Look, if you guys like listening to Tim talk about Star Wars, please subscribe to Yubnub. I could talk about all day. Like, just because I've gained, so, I just have so much. I know more about, and this is, you know, as, as a black person, if you can't tell from my voice, I know more about Star Wars and the civil rights movement, okay? Like, like this is bad. Like, it's just, like, it's it's horrible. It, it's one of those things where, like, literally, I will I will just look something up off the top of my head and end up on Wikipedia for hours. Oh, yeah. I will learn everything about every fucking side character. I'll learn about Darth Bane. I'll read, I've read so much about Darth Bane. That's a character that it sounds like I made up. 
is, well, guys, if you want to hear even more of this, go go listen to Yup right now. I mean, Tim Tim has got you covered here, and we were very happy that he would come on and share a bit with us. Tim, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was uh, a lot of fun. And if you ever, for any reason, need someone to talk about Star Wars again, just hit me up. I mean, I might pull you in for a Matrix. To be <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I'm in. I watch those movies every year. I watch those movies every year. Yeah, I've, I've actually been. Re- I'm, I'm on uh, Revolutions right now. I'm like uh, like an hour into Revolutions. I, I just started rewatching it. And it's, but you uh, had to take a break, didn't you? <laughs> it's, yeah, you have to. Yeah, we're gonna start awkwardly <laughs> forcing our guests to commit to future episodes before we let them sign off. <laughs> Tim Barnes, thank you so much for being here. Guys, thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe. Give us five stars. It helps us out so much. And we have a link to our Patreon down in the show notes, which if you can become a patron, that helps us keep this show running. So uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. We certainly did. Please come back again next week where Wen and I are going to be here as we always are. Wen, I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.